All right, I just want to share with all of you that, um, uh, and I said this first service, we're, we're going through the book of John, uh, we're in John 14, and um, we're, we're going to be covering something that'll be somewhat controversial. Uh, some folks will struggle with it, and I just want to share with you, I, I know the scripture says, an offended brother is harder one than a fortified city, and, and I don't seek to offend. Um, you know, you have to, you have to want to be offended to be offended. And, and the idea, the scripture says, it's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. Um, if I could avoid the text, I would, but God commands us to teach the whole counsel of God's word. And, and I'm going to show a, a video, maybe two, I didn't show two last service, but I might this service, uh, pertaining to the, the idea of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He's the, the most forgotten person of the Trinity. Um, we can't put a face to him. I mean, it's easy for us to fathom God the Father because we've all had fathers. If we haven't had a good father. We can look at our friend's father and come up with some sort of a concept of, of a father. It's easy to put a face or visualize Jesus because the scriptures speak of him. And from a young age, if we've had any understanding, we can picture Jesus, a historical figure. But to put a face to the Holy Spirit is difficult. And the church is divided over the third person of the Trinity. Uh, we, we struggle. And uh, this is where the greatest controversy in the church arises. And, and I'm going to address some things pertaining to the text this morning uh, that I just want you to know, everyone comes from a different tradition or background. And uh, one of the videos I show, this person may have been influential in you coming to Christ. Um, and I understand that. I'm just wanting you to watch the video from the vantage point of the way the world sees it and, and how the world grasps through a video like this who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, and then contrast that with what God's word says and, and what he intends of, of himself when he reveals himself in scripture. Um, we're gonna take a look at that. And what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Um, so we're gonna take a look at that and uh, I, just, I just want you to know, I'm going to do my best to navigate it. I, I don't think anyone was offended last service. If they were, it's going to come in the form of an email. It wasn't in a conversation. Um, and in addition, uh, in the body of Christ, and I invited you tonight to prayer, uh, we, we observe what we call the ABCs of prayer. Uh, we teach folks how to pray corporately. And the ABCs of prayer is A is for audible. You have to pray loud enough so people can hear you and agree with you. B is for brief, put a caboose on the end of that train. I always say that the first minute you're praying, we're praying with you. The second minute you're praying, we're praying for you. And the third minute you're praying, we're praying against you. (laughs) Some folks don't ever let you in. It's just, you know, it's like double dutch and they never let anyone else participate. And we have an hour and they they take 45 minutes of it. Uh, But but the third of the ABCs, it's audible, brief. And then the, the third is controversy. Avoid controversy. It's the one thing that crosses denominational lines that God commands of his children is to be prayerful. And it's amazing how we can even take prayer and make it controversial. We pray theology that some folks struggle with. Again, we apply uh, on Sunday night of prayer, an offended brother is harder one than a fortified city and it's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. So if something is offensive to you, just overlook it and it's like eating chicken. Eat the meat and spit out the bones and just keep moving. 
because we endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And one of the controversies that came up in a prayer meeting was this idea of you're only supposed to pray once for something, not twice. And, and, um, and it came to me, it would happen when I, I wasn't at the prayer service. And, and, and I, it's going to be addressed here in the message today. I believe John 14 covers it. And so um, if, if you f- fall on an opposite position as me, I, w- I would ask that you take time to spend with me and explain to me why. I've, I've done my work and show me yours. And then we'll endeavor to keep the union of the spirit and the bond of peace. Amen? All right. Well, with that, let's open up to John 14. If you have a Bible, if you don't, these fine folks will give you one. Raise your hand and open up to John 14. John 14. John 14. And let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We've been going through uh, the book of John. We've covered the first portion of John 14. We're now going to pick up at verse 12. And by the way, uh, chapters 13 to 17 of the book of John are the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. John is recording it in great detail. If the rest of the Bible had such intense detail, the Bible would, would be 15 times as large. So John is taking a lot of time to disclose the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And here we pick up, and Jesus says in verse 12, he's speaking. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to my Father, and whatever you ask, everyone say whatever. Whatever. And by the way, in the Greek and the uh, Aramaic, whatever means whatever. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything, please say anything. Anything. And by the way, that means? If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper or comforter that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Let's pray and ask God's blessing. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would lead us into all truth. We know that you desire to lift up the name of Christ, that all men would be drawn unto you. Lord Jesus, you seek to glorify the Father the triune Godhead found here in John 14. Holy Spirit, we we long to know more about you. We long to have the misconceptions of you lifted and the scales removed that we would see you the way that you have revealed yourself through Scripture. And so God, help us. We ask that you would empower and bless us for your glory. And we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a seat, relax. Bless you. When we look at the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, uh, our perception of him is in every dimension of the spectrum. Uh, Over here, you've got what they call charismania, and and over here, 
the gifts, they call it cessationism, where they, the gifts of the Holy Spirit died, certain gifts died with the apostles, and, and they, there's, there's, there's no move towards the, the Spirit of God. This is a heavy emphasis on the Spirit of God, signs and wonders. This is strictly word only, and uh, somewhere in the middle is kind of where we find ourselves. Over here, they, their desire is to remove all this emotion and feeling and stick strictly to the word and, and just be right. And they're so right, they're dead right. And, and over here, they've, they've stepped away and they've, at the expense of the word, they've embraced the spirit and they've gone off the edge a little bit, a lot. And, and both are on the spectrums. And, and over here is where God says that he wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. There needs to be the power of the spirit and there needs to be the truth of the word together. Calvary Chapels, interestingly enough, started in 1966 out of a church called the Foursquare Church. Amy Simple McPherson, you can do the story on her life. She ran away with, with, uh, in an adulterous affair, ran away with a boyfriend and tried to fake her drowning in the Pacific Ocean. And uh, the, the church was exploding and, big, and, it, and it became a denomination and it survived the, the failure and the carnality of its founder. Uh, today, it's a, a strong fellowship of believers. We've got a great church over here. And, um, and Chuck Smith, uh, the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel, came out of Foursquare. And, and his concept was, I want to keep the main thing, the plain thing, and the plain thing, the main thing. And his burden was, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So he wanted to teach the whole counsel of God's word expository, expositionally, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. So Chuck, in the 60s, during the, the hippie uh, era, and all these folks were m- moving out of the traditional church, and they were just, they couldn't relate to the church and the hymns and, and the stoicness of the church, and, and the Beatles came in, and they were all drawn to the music, and then the Stones, and, you know, the Guess Who, and everybody else, and the British Invasion, the Beach Boys, and next thing you know, all of California is inundated with long hair and drugs, and it's a mess. And Chuck and Kay start reaching out to the hippie generation, and they started to apply simple teaching of the Bible. And, and actually, some of his studies would go three hours long, just going through books and books of the Bible. And all these hippies would come in because they were drawn by the music. And this is where we got Maranatha music. And one of the forerunners of that music was a fellow by the name of Lonnie Frisbee, who uh, was, there, there was an anointing on his life. There was something unique and special about him. This Maranatha music started to incorporate some of the instruments that they had found in the secular world. And so, so you started to see synco- syncopated rhythms, electric guitars. And, and the traditional church was saying that, that Calvary Chapel's a cult and syncopated rhythms can't come into a church. The hymns are, are holy and, and they're sanctified. And, you know, you'd say things like, well, uh, a mighty fortress is our God that Martin Luther put together uh, was done from a, a beer hall song. That's the tune. Uh, and they go, well, no, and you do the homework, and it was. I mean, music is subjective. And, and, it, and it touched you when you were growing up, and there's something significant, and they talk about theology, and they're deeper, and, and you have ability to go into a deeper structure, and kind of the metric of today's music is a little different, and the refrains go on, and it seems almost hypnotic. I get that. But to dismiss, um, you know, the instruments and the like, saying they're not acceptable in, in uh, a church, the Bible says all things are permissible, not all things are profitable. One of the reasons why we provide a 930 service with hymns is because some folks relate to that. And we, we want whatever worship style they're accustomed to, to minister to them. And, and the majority of folks enjoy the drums, enjoy the guitar, and they're drawn to it. You don't throw all that out. Well, Lonnie Frisbee was instrumental, and, and, and it started to grow, and there was this 
charismatic portion of the Calvary Chapel movement. Lonnie Frisbee kind of ended up going off the deep end. He ended up dying of AIDS. He struggled. He, he had a, a rough life. Uh, John Wimber was ordained as a Calvary Chapel pastor at Yorba Linda. My pastor, Don McClure, ordained him. John Wimber started the Vineyard Movement. The Vineyard Movement went after signs and wonders and kind of pulled away from, from the word being the center. And it removed a part of the DNA of Calvary Chapel. Uh, they, they went this way, and Calvary Chapel pushed more towards the word. So we were, we were all about truth, and we lost a portion of the spirit. They were all about the spirit and lost a portion of the truth. And, and they went on to, you know, the Toronto Blessing and Pensacola and Brownsville and, and a lot of vineyards imploded and they went through just an enormous struggle. And Calvary Chapels, we've been motoring along, but, but we believe the gifts are for today. But how many people have ever seen, um, you know, what they used to call an afterglow service? Or have you seen the gifts uh, operating in the context in a Calvary Chapel service? Not many. Some of you are going, well, do they believe in the gifts? And some folks say, well, they do, but they keep them in the closet. And, and so... Part of our DNA was lost. And I would say we, we lean more towards truth and, 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 and we've, we've lost part of the spirit. Over here, they've leaned more towards the spirit and lost part of the truth. And, and there needs to be amending. And this passage deals with that. This passage deals with that. And the reason why it deals with it is because it brings the, the, the truth and the spirit together by Jesus' statement. And he begins in verse 12 by saying, most assuredly or truly I say to you, this is of, of absolute importance. He says, truly I say to you. And he's already told them, and, and we covered this. He told them that he's going to be crucified. He's been troubled. He was troubled over Lazarus's death. He was troubled over the, uh, um, the, the departure of Judas, the betrayal of Judas. He's, he's troubled over the cross. And, and Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. He, he was troubled in the journey, but not the destination. And that's what he encouraged us to do. The journey will have trouble but keep your eye on the destination. And we covered that last week. And so with that confidence, Jesus has now addressed to them this idea of a crucifixion. In his last 24 hours, he's getting ready to be brutally beaten. Isaiah 53 will depict it. His beard will be pulled out of his face. He will be crucified. He will be pierced for our transgressions. By his stripes, will be healed. It's awful what he's about to experience in less than 24 hours. And he turns to them knowing everything that awaits him. He turns to them knowing everything that awaits him. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do. And they're saying, wait a minute. You raise the dead, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. You walked on water. We're gonna do greater works than those? Yes. But you're leaving. I mean, you're the source of all the power. You're the show in town. Everyone comes to see you, not us. We, we tried to heal the demon-possessed man, and we couldn't do it, and you had to come down, and you say you, for, you, know, you lack faith, and, and you did it, and you're telling us we're going to have more power than you, and you're leaving? And Jesus says, you're going to do greater works than these because I go to my Father. Wait a minute. You're going to your Father, and we're going to do greater works, yet the source of our power is gone. And they're troubled, and, he, and they've worked with him for three and a half years. They've seen it. Every time they had a question, they went to him. They, they've, they've watched him do all these things. Their faith has increased. They, they've seen the seas calmed from a raging storm. They, they've witnessed a demon-possessed man in the Gadarenes breaking chains and, and, and watching him absolutely healed and watching all the swine go over the cliff as multiple demons are cast into the swine. They're, they're watching all of this, and they're stunned, and they're saying, we, we can't do this, and you're saying we're going to do greater than that but you are going to the Father. And Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. He gives two of the largest promises ever given in Scripture. He says, whatever you ask and anything you ask, in my name, that the Father may glorify the Son, I'll do it. Is that good enough for all of you, he says? Whatever and anything. Huge promises. Whatever and anything that I, that you ask of me, I will do. Now, asking. Asking with someone who's not there. You're going to the Father. How do we ask? It's called prayer. You pray. And when you pray, I'll respond. And you ask in my name. And, and the idea of asking in accordance with his name is that his name is that which depicts his character. The authority of, of the name in which you ask reveals the character of the one whose name you have invoked. If, if the president says something, it's done. It, it, the authority of, of Christ in relation to glorifying the Father and, and declaring that the Father would glorify the Son, if you're in alignment with that and you ask according to that, I'll do it. Now, a lot of folks struggle with this concept of prayer. And, and what Jesus is saying is that from here on out, the only ministry that's going to take place is going to be done by prayer. Did you hear that? The church thinks prayer is superficial. It's everything. For 15 years, we've been calling people to prayer. For 15 years, and, and listen, there's never been revival anywhere in the world that hasn't first started by concentrated corporate prayer. And the reason why concentrated corporate prayer is necessary is because we align ourselves with the will of the Father. And Jesus says, you're asking in accordance with the authority of my name, which is the authority of my character. And I'll do it. I'll do it. But you must ask. And when I think of this concept of asking, the scripture says in Luke 11, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And by the way, Warren Wearsby points out, the tense of the verbs are important here. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. That's the tense in the Greek of the verbs. I didn't do that, the scripture does. For this reason, the scripture, the New Living Translation points out, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Luke eleven nine, same thing. Keep, uh, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find it. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. And people say, well, you only have to ask once. Well, if that's the case, why did Jesus ask the Father three times to have this cup removed from him? Wouldn't once have done it? Was he in sin? Last time I checked, he was without sin. He was troubled. This was a burden. Father, if there's any other way other than me being beaten and brutalized that every drop of blood would be poured out of my body, if there's any way to redeem your creation, would, would you allow this cup to pass from me? He didn't just say it once. He said it again. And he didn't just say it twice. He said it again. He said it three times. The idea of asking is aligning with God's purposes. Jesus said... In Matthew 6, 7 and 8, 
When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not, uh, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. And the idea of babbling is words that make no sense. Humana, 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 bing, turkey's done. Should about a Hyundai, should about a Hyundai, should about a Hyundai. That is not what, the, the Lord isn't saying you don't continually ask, you just don't babble. Don't continually babble. And Jesus didn't mean that you don't continue to ask because it would be in contradiction to Luke 11. So why isn't once enough in asking God? Why would Jesus say in John 14, ask whatever, anything? Why is asking once, why isn't once enough? Did Elijah have to pray seven times for rain? Did Daniel have to pray 21 days for the angel to reach him? Did the Canaanite woman have to ask over and over again that Jesus would heal her demon-possessed daughter? Why do we keep asking? Prayer isn't for God. It's for us. It brings us into alignment of what he wants to do. Prayer yields our will. Prayer is this idea of saying, God, less of me, more of you. See, this is, this is why it then immediately jumps from ask whatever and ask anything into the idea of the third person of the Trinity. This concept of prayer, this concept of keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, is what God desires of his people is continual communion. That the prophet would ask seven times for rain wasn't once enough. Why would Jesus pray three times for the cup to be removed wasn't once enough. I understand that that God hears us. He's already active. And some of you say, well, it's a lack of faith. Did Jesus have a lack of faith? We're troubled. It comforts us. Comforts us. Comforts us. What's the name of the Holy Spirit? What's his name? Paraclete, the comforter, the one who comes alongside. Clete, I mean, this idea of, uh, of comforter alongside, parallel lines, parabolos, paraclete, one who comes alongside. When it uses the word comforter, it's, it's, in, it's in the Latin, con forte, which means with strength. Con forte, with strength. And you look and you say, God, there is a supernatural task to accomplish. And these disciples, when Jesus left, they were a penny looking for change. The shepherd was struck, the sheep scattered, and they were hiding in every nook and cranny. One person was denying him three times before the rooster crowed. Another was following at a distance. They were all struggling. When Stephen was massacred, they all went out to Damascus in every nook and cranny of the Roman Empire. They were frightened and overwhelmed. Within weeks after the Holy Spirit filled them at Pentecost, there were now over 15,000 believers. It said he added to their number daily. We study this on Wednesday night in the book of Acts. If you want another educational lesson, we're going through the book of Acts. We learn that God added to their numbers daily. Then he multiplied them. And then it says he greatly multiplied them. He, he couldn't even use addition anymore. He couldn't even use multiplication. It had to be exponential multiplication. Priests were coming to Christ. The entire world was being transformed. Rome would fall to the strength of Christ by these men and women who had given themselves over to God. You see, here's the problem in Christendom, in our concept, our misconception of the Holy Spirit. We think, and people say this, do you have the Holy Spirit? Brother, sister, do you have the Holy Spirit? Praise God. The question is not do I have him. The question is does he have me? You see, we think it's active. We got to go find him. Where is he? He's in Brownsville. No, he's in Pensacola. No, he's in Toronto. Thought that would be funnier. 
Okay. It's a passive concept. When Jesus speaks and he says, if you love me, you understand about this idea of whatever you ask, anything you ask in my name, I will do it. I'm going to my father, but listen to me, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Has anyone in the room ever tried to keep God's commandments and succeeded? Raise your hand. By the way, one sin keeps you out of heaven. And if you're waiting, and we're going to cover all your bases, Al. If you're waiting for a sacrificial lamb, the temple's been destroyed. Blood must be shed for the remission of sins. That's, that's the Torah. That's, that's the Pentateuch. There's, the Messiah's come. Blood must be shed for the remission of sins. And, and the idea is, he, here we are, and the Lord is saying, I have given you my life. And so when he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And we go, God, I can't keep your commandments. I've tried. Even the apostle Paul says, those things I want to do, I don't do them. Those things I don't want to do, those I do. I love that verse. I'm like, oh, the holy apostle Paul is just as pathetic as I am. Oh, amen? I mean, look at this room. It's a mess. You guys are going, looking at me going, yes, it is. And, and so Jesus is saying, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Lord, I love you. And even the apostle Paul says, to will is present in me. But how to do it, I do not know. Lord, I want to love you. I want to do what you want me to do. But my flesh wars within me. It's awful. I have a sin nature that is, it, there's two lions living in a cage, this, the lion of the spirit, the lion of the flesh, and they war, and the only one that wins is the one I feed the most. And it's a battle. I want to do what's right to will his present in me, but how to do it, I don't know. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Lord, I want to love you. I do. I know you love me. I want to love you. You've given me everything. I want to give you everything. And the Lord says, well, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. And in the Greek, it means one exactly like, very similar, one of the same kind. And the idea is conforte, comforter, conforte, with strength, parakletos, uh, the comforter who comes alongside. I will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And by the way, he says the Holy Spirit, his name is the Spirit of Truth. In Romans, it says he's the Spirit of Christ. Uh, we, we find out so many things about the third person of the Trinity, there are three persons mentioned. All of them are doing something for our salvation. Uh, I will ask, says the Son. I will send, says the Father. I will provide comfort and counsel, says the Holy Spirit. They all have a role in our redemption. And, and here you see this in John 14. We have a tough time perceiving the Holy Spirit as a person. As I said earlier, we can fathom and, and comprehend a Father. We can comprehend the Son. The Holy Spirit is just odd to us. And, and we think of him as a force. I mean, there's a huge misconception in Christendom of, of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, being a force. You know, you, you got to have it, and, and you're just so overwhelmed by it. And just over, and just, I remember torturing myself, watching a television minister by the name of Robert Tilton. I don't know if he's on anymore. He, and I'd just turn off the sound and watch his face. And he, he would... He would uh, uh, supposedly be empowered or anointed with the Holy Spirit. And, and the Lord, he'd do these quirky 
And I'm watching going, if I, I don't want that. I, I don't want to walk around with a twitch. I don't. Anyone want that? Me neither. And I was looking going, that is so weird. And, and, I, and listen, I know folks have probably come to Christ through Robert Tilton. Uh, and and I, 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 I look at him as a heretic. But it's like eating chicken. You can eat the meat and spit out the bones. And some of you found the Lord through that ministry. It doesn't mean it's correct. Some of you have come to the Lord through Benny Hinn ministry. Some of you have come to the Lord through Ken, uh, John Hagee ministries. Kenneth Copeland. But when we look at what Scripture says about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, he's, he, he has power, but he is not, he supplies power, but he's not a power. He's a person. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have it? It? You mean him? Have you ever heard anyone say that? Do you have it? Do you have it? Uh, I don't know if I have him, but my heart is that he has me. It's passive. It's not how much of him do I have, it's how much of me does he have. The Holy Spirit has personal characteristics. First of all, he loves. That's out of Romans 15.30. A force can't love. Electricity can't love. He has a mind, Romans 8.27. He has a will, 1 Corinthians 12.11. He can be lied to, Acts 5.3. He can be grieved, Ephesians 4.30. He has knowledge, 1 Corinthians 12.10 and 11. Personal acts are ascribed to the Holy Spirit. He brings comfort, John 15. He speaks, Revelation 2.7. He cries out, Galatians 4.6. He makes intercession, Romans 8.26. He gives testimony, John 15.26. He teaches all truth, John 14.26. He leads believers, Romans 8, 14. He commands men, Acts 16, verses 6 and 7. He searches out the deep things of God, 1 Corinthians 2, 10. So we see there are many personal characteristics, personal actions ascribed to the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He's not just a force. He's a person. I love what one author writes. He says, because... It is then that we take the position of being passive instead of being aggressive in our relationship. He says, what I mean by this, if I view the Holy Spirit as a force, I am wanting to channel that force and tap into that power and harness it, energy to be used. But if I view the Holy Spirit as a person, the third person of the triune Godhead, I want to be submitted to him and be led by him. You see the difference? I want to learn to be sensitive to his voice. I want to hear his heart. And this goes beyond the mind. It goes to the core of the heart. Now the world looks at it and they don't understand the third person of the Trinity or the triune Godhead. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes, these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with, uh, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So we look at this, and, and for us, we are passive. We're not trying to, to plug into this force. We, 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 aren't, we aren't wanting to channel that force or tap into that power. We want to be submitted to him. We want to be led by him. We want to be sensitive to him. And that's why the Lord says, You'll keep my commandments if you love me, and here's how you're gonna do it. I'm gonna pray to the Father, and he's gonna give you another helper just like me, and I'm gentle and lowly of heart. It's the only autobiographical statement Jesus ever said. I'm, I'm, I'm lowly and, and I'm humble and lowly at heart. 
And he says, and he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. He's going to lead you into all truth. So you're going to go, you know, Lord, you said whatever and you said anything. And I need, I need you to get me this tax return. And, I, and, and the Lord, is a, he's, he's the spirit of truth. And he says, well, uh-uh, you're not going to get that because you're cheating. Well, yeah, you had to bring that up. Is there anyone else up there that can do anything, whatever? Lord, I... I just, I need you to deal with this, this wife of mine. He's just stubborn. Well, that's because you're not kind. You bathe her in the water of the word I've commanded. That's the truth. Hey, I haven't done that, but I mean, you said whatever and anything. In alignment with my will and my purpose is to glorify, the, the, the father would glorify the son. Humble and lowly of heart. You go through passages of scripture and, and as you, you see where, where Jesus says in, in Luke 9, 23, he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. You, you want me to, to answer in regards to anything and whatever according with my character and my name? Then you need to be my disciple. My disciple denies himself and he serves and he picks up his cross and he follows me daily. Okay, now there's contingencies to the whatever. I was thinking Ferrari. I was going to name a big house on the, on the hill. Name it and claim it. I want that bad boy. God says, I know what you'd do if you were there. Well, we'll talk about that later, but you said anything and whatever. And God says, you know, we need to get rid of that ego because that doesn't represent my character and my purposes that the Father would glorify the Son. And so here we come to a place where we're struggling we're saying, but Lord, I, I'm praying and you're not answering my prayer. He is answering. Yes, no, and wait. And you're like, why am I waiting? Well, sometimes, here's why God says no. This is out of James chapter 4. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from the desires, for your desires and pleasures that war in your members? You lust and you don't have. You murder and covet and you can't obtain. You fight, you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And you're like, okay, well, give me victory over my opponent. And God says, well, you ask and you do not receive because you're asking amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures, your purposes, not my will. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. You want me to answer? And, and that the Father would glorify the Son, anything and whatever? Align yourself by prayer. Plug into me. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy? A name represents the nature of the man whose name it bears. If you're going to say in Jesus' name, it, it bears the nature of the man whom you've invoked. And some of you say, well, why isn't my prayers answered? Here's a good one. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, half the room. Likewise, dwell with your wife with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. What she's saying is probably very important and God is answering the prayer through what she's saying. And you're like, woman, shut up, do as you're told and like it. If I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Well, good for you. And you're wondering why life is so miserable because you're no fun to be around. You're a tyrant in your family. Psalm 66, 18. I mean, you work so hard for sin, you almost feel like you deserve it. He's giving you barrier after barrier. You're jumping over it, going around it, going under it. You're, and it's just roadblock after roadblock and you're just plowing through them and you've just got your eyes set like Jesus to the cross. Your face is sent like a flint towards sin. 
And you're working so hard with every barrier he puts and, and you just, you just been coveting it and you're just longing for it. And, and, and you, you, by the time you just feel, you know, I deserve it. God says, okay, it's yours. Well, God, I need help. And there's no answer. Why? Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. <laughs> just thought I'd add that. 160 times in the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is referred to. 16 times, it's in the masculine form of he. 51 times in the book of Acts alone, when they call the Acts of the Apostles, it's actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We see at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit come and the church grows. The church is worthless without the third person of the Trinity. And the only way you invoke the third person of the Trinity is on your knees. And, and we would rather do anything than pray. And Jesus says, I'm going to pray to the Father. He'll give you the helper. If you think I'm praying to get him to you, don't you think uh, you should pray to, to get him in you? For you to give him more of yourself? He's a spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells in you and, be, and will be with you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You've seen me do this a number of times if, if you've been to the church for any length of time. I usually bring a pitcher of water filled and an empty cup. And I use the three prepositions in the Greek for how the Holy Spirit works in the world. And in the Greek, it's in, with, and upon. In, with, and upon. Scripture says that the Holy Spirit is with all mankind. He's alongside. He's a restrainer of evil. He brings conviction of sin. He's the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of Christ. He's testifying to the Lord. And he's with all mankind. And he's, he's speaking. And anyone who hears his voice is drawn to it. And there he is. And then you receive him. And you say, God, I... I I deny myself, I pick up my cross, I, I receive Christ's salvation, I want to be a completed human being, a trichotomy, body, soul, and now your spirit. Your spirit departed in the Garden of Eden, and I need it to come back, and I receive you. And all of a sudden, the water goes in, and now you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. But the third preposition is upon, where we see uh, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And this idea of a pea, the pawn, and a pea is the Greek word, it means a pawn, it means overflowing. And I just take the water and I keep pouring it, it drips all over, and it ruined my notes last time, it gets all over the carpet, and you know, folks who clean don't like it. But that's a great picture. It's like being baptized, and when you come out of the water, you go hug somebody, you get them wet. It, it means that your life is so effective that you're getting it on other people. You're sitting on an airplane and you're touching someone's life. You're, 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 you're in a line at the supermarket. You're touching someone's life. It's just overflowing. There's a joy about you. There's a tenderness. You have a heart for people. There's, there's no reason why you have to invest in their life. There's no reason why you even have to talk to them. You just drive by them. You don't just keep your mouth shut. Just stay about your own business. But God is other-centered. And all of a sudden you're sitting there and you're convicted and God's saying, talk to them, love them, care for them. And you step out of your comfort zone and you pour your life out and, and the Holy Spirit from your innermost being just touches them and blesses them and saturates and satiates them and draws them because they're in a dry and weary land where there is no water and they're dying of thirst and they see in you the living water and they're drawn to it. That's the Holy Spirit taking hold of your life. That's the picture of what God is depicting to all of us. But I'll tell you, when he says anything and whatever, it's almost like hometown buffet. And, and we take that to think that we, we command God and he's a cosmic genie in the sky and, and we can will what we want from him. And what we've done in Christendom to abuse his character and to abuse his, his identity is criminal. We've, we've removed the fact that he lifts up the name of Christ that all men would be drawn unto him. We remove the fact that he's the spirit of Christ now listen, I, I know when the Lord has taken hold of my heart and, and, and he has my life 
And it's not, do I have the Holy Spirit? He, he has me. I remember one time driving in Coronado and, and I'm driving by myself. I'm in the car alone. I'm going past houses when I was a young boy that awful things happened in. And I was responsible for many of them. And my heart's grieved. And God is just, there's conviction of sin and I'm, I'm pouring it out to him. And, and there's this flood after flood of, of God touching my heart and I'm confessing it and he's touching me and he's filling me. And, and I'm, I'm groaning and I'm lamenting and I'm rejoicing and, and I'm, I'm telling him, God, I'm not that person anymore because of what you've done. And, and I'm having an entire conversation and I've never even used a word that would be audible you could understand. And I can't even describe some of the emotions that were occurring. And if you'd been in the car, you would have said, he's having a seizure. And you wouldn't have been edified. Edified means to build up. You wouldn't have been edified because that was God ministering to me in my own closet. But it was, it, it was intense. If, if you weren't a believer and you saw that, you'd go, what in the world? But I can tell you it was as clear as the noses on my face, his presence in my life. And I was rejoicing and my heart was touched. There's been times on Sunday night prayer where the entire room is captivated in corporate prayer as the Holy Spirit has, has taken hold of our heart. He has us. And we're lamenting. Our hearts are broken for the drug addicts in our community, for the broken marriages, for the sick. We're, 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 we're brokenhearted. We're sobbing. We're unified. We're, 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 we're connected to his heart. And we're crying out to him. There's times where somebody will reveal that they've been healed as we've lamented and cried out in prayer. And we're watching as we're rejoicing with them. And there's a corporate presence of God. It's unbelievable. You, you, you haven't experienced it because Christianity is, is just categorized. It's not everything. God has a little bit, not all of us. And, and we want to be entertained. I remember Pastor Tony sharing when he was at a concert, close to 4,000 people, worship concert, and they're just, they're, and everybody's waving banners, and they're speaking in tongues, and you can smell marijuana in the crowd, and, and it just this, this move, and they're talking about the spirit, and the worship leader's just so burdened by it because he's gone one after the other, and he was a very large church, and you'd know his name, but I won't say who it is, and he turns to Tony, and he goes, watch this. He says, this is what's so ridiculous. He watches this, and he switches from this worship song to uh, Brown Eyed Girl by Van Morrison, and the whole place just starts dancing and doing the same stuff they were doing before. Nothing changed. I was at a Christian concert at the Staples Center. I won't tell you who the band was, but they filled the place. And it smelled just like a Stones concert. Now, and that's not to say that some of the folks in there were worshiping. And they were in tune. And their hearts were yielded. And they were saying, God, take all of me. I want you to have my heart. I yield. There were others that are going, this is such cool music, and I just sound so cool, and just have it, yeah, hey. And I want to just plug into the feeling without the truth, without the obedience, without the yieldedness. The Holy Spirit isn't a force. He has power, but he's not a force. He's a person. And this is, this is how the world views American Christianity. Let's lower the lights. Let's show the one we showed last service without sound, because... It's kind of a heavy metal song, and I pulled it off the internet. It's kind of grainy, but I, I, I'm, this isn't casting dispersion on the person here, but watch and tell me, does this strike you as John 14? Just watch.
I'd probably go to jail for that. Look at that. That's good. Let's shut it down. There's another clip uh, of another televangelist who said that at Pentecost it appeared as though they were drunk. And so he says that that is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So he starts feigning drunkenness as though he's possessed by this power. And he starts laughing like a drunk man. And everybody in the room starts laughing like this couple that looks, they could have, political leaders, they could have been bank presidents. They, I mean, and, and they, they fainted like they were drunk in the whole place. I'm watching that, and I'm thinking, is that John 14? John 14 is not the power. It's, it's not knocking people over. It's our lives yielding to the Lord in obedience to his commandments, not being electrocuted or twitched. Supernatural strength to accomplish a supernatural task. I just want to tell you, the the Brownsville movement, the Pensacola movement, the Toronto movement, it imploded churches. It left a wake of devastation. And and some of you were touched. You came to the Christ there. I'm, I'm not dismissing that. I'm saying, does God have all of you? That's it. I don't want you to contend with me. I want you to ask yourself this question. It's not how much of him do I have or it. How much of me does he have? Does he have your marriage? Does he have your job? Does he have what you're watching? What you're listening to? What you're drinking? What you're eating? What you're saying? Does he have your mouth? Does he have your mind? How much of you does he have? How much of me does he have? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. How are we going to do that? I'm going to pray to the Father. He's going to give you a helper, a conforte, one who's going to come alongside that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. He's going to convict you. He's going to tell you, uh, you're saying that you want this, but this is really what you're doing. I know your thoughts and your intents. It's my word is sharper than a two-edged sword. Uh, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. There's a lot of work to be done, and this isn't going to get it done. It's going to be my people called by my name, humbling themselves in prayer. I want to tell you, you will know that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit when you're drawn to prayer. That's the picture here. 
This is the strength of what God's declaring. And I close with this last thought as we prepare to take communion. Jesus said this, I didn't. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. That's a pretty harsh statement. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, This I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares for about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. He's serious about the concept of discipleship. We we worship at the altar of convenience and pleasure and entertainment. And God just says, I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not here to jolt you and give you goosebumps. I gave you everything. I gave you all of me so I can have all of you. I spared nothing. I gave you my body. It was broken and scourged. Every drop of blood poured out for the remission of all of your sins. I gave you all of me that you might give me all of you. That is the desire of the Holy Spirit. Don't walk around with your cord on how to plug in. I, Rob McCoy, have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. He owns me. He has all of me. John said, uh, John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. He's not interested in fulfilling our, our flesh and entertaining us. He is interested in disciples who he has every bit of us in his control. And that comes by three things, prayer, fellowship, and the word of God. Say it with me, prayer, fellowship, word of God. One more time, prayer, fellowship, word of God. We do it on Sunday, but there's seven days in a week. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of what? I gave all of me so you can give me all of you. So when you come to the table for our time of communion, you're gonna, they're going to hand you the cup, they're going to hand you the bread. You'll go back to your seat through the center aisle. The ushers will dismiss you by rows in a minute. When you sit down, we like to follow an order. And the order is we take the bread first and the cup second. And the reason why we take the bread first is because if you look at the matzah cracker, it's, it's pierced and striped. This is, a, this is a Jewish 
matzah cracker. It's the afikomen. It's he came. It's the only Greek word in the Seder meal. It's fascinating. He was pierced for our transgressions. By his stripes, we've been healed. And you hold the cracker because you eat that first because the body had to be broken before the blood could be shed. It says blood must be shed for the remission of sins. There's no sacrificial system anymore. God isn't on a scale or curve. He's holy. And you can't say, well, I I should get into heaven because I'm better than Rob McCoy. God will go, who isn't? Right? God would say, my son's a standard. I gave him to you. I gave you a Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. He's here. Come to me, all you are burdened and heavy laden. You've been trying to, to appease God. Just die and let him live in you. He gave you all of him. Let him have all of you. Amen? Okay, let's pray. I'm gonna invite the ushers to come forward. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for your faithfulness. We have this live communication with you. The door is wide open. We call on your name. It's yes and amen. Lord, for three and a half years, they they would come to you with any question. But now, Lord, anywhere we are, any time, Lord, we ask of you. And if we pray in accordance with your will, with the authority of the character of your name, you say whatever and anything and I will do it. And so, Lord, we're so grateful for that. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are our helper. Conforte, you come alongside us with strength. If we need to be strengthened, you're there. If we need comfort, you're there. If we need peace, you're there. You're the spirit of truth. You're the spirit of Christ. The world can't see you. They don't know you, but we do. Your spirit bears witness with our own. We rejoice that we are aligned and our heart is to glorify the Son and the Father. And we thank you that you dwell in us. You haven't left us as orphans. And so we're grateful for for the work you're doing in our lives. And today, Holy Spirit, we say, have all of us. Lord, have all of me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Take my life. Let it be a holy offering unto thee. God, we want to live for you. We, We have cares of everything in the world but you. We even justify our lack of service to you because we declare an earthly relationship takes precedent over you. We're not to neglect our spouses, but we're also not to idolize marriage. There's work to be done. If you've called us to the mission field and one spouse isn't yielded because they just want the comfort of a three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car garage, yet the other spouse is clearly equipped for the field, Lord, please, Holy Spirit, take all of us and we'd yield. Help us, God, to serve you. There's limited time. And I pray that we would yield and be empowered as you envelop us and take hold of all of us. Thank you, Lord. Bless this time of communion, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.